The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Only considering those processes related to electoral uh, disqualifications, there are no uh, major uh, consequences then this one from, that uh, halts him from, from disputing elections uh, in the next eight years. But we have another criminal lawsuits that involve several other, thi other things, let's say, the way by which Bolsonaro managed the COVID-19 pandemic and so on, that can go on in lower courts now in Brazil and probably uh, bring some results that are harsher for, for Bolsonaro. I don't know if prison would be one of them, but uh, at least in an abstract way, we could consider that uh, this is something that uh, probably Bolsonaro is, let's say, afraid of. I'm Tyler McBrien, Managing Editor of Lawfare, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, July 27th, 2023. Last month, Brazil's highest electoral court found that former President Jair Bolsonaro had abused his political power in the 2022 elections because of his conduct in a meeting with foreign ambassadors in Brasilia in July 2022. For this violation of the country's election laws, the electoral court banned Bolsonaro from seeking public office until 2030. To talk about Bolsonaro's disqualification, I sat down with Emilio Peluso Nedermeyer, professor of constitutional law at the Federal University of Minas Gerais, and Thomas Bustamanchi, professor of legal theory at the same university, to discuss Brazil's search for accountability and justice in the aftermath of the coup attempt on January 8th. We also talked about why the electoral court's ruling was not so much a legal innovation as a mere application of existing laws, the significance of President Lula's decision not to rely on the military in his government's response, and what's next for Bolsonarismo. It's the Lawfare Podcast, July 27th, Brazil's search for accountability after January 8th. So Emilio and Thomas, most of our listeners will be quite familiar with the events of January 8th, 2023 in Brasilia. Not to be confused with January 6th, which was perhaps a similar event, perhaps different in many ways in the United States. But for those who are not as familiar, can you just walk us through what happened that day in Brazil and perhaps some of the lead up as well? And Emilio, I'll start with you. So uh, what happened that day on the 8th of uh, January 2023 was a kind of a, uh, an attempt or uh, let's say uh, an, an idea that some of... Uh, protesters that uh, were uh, manifesting to support Bolsonaro after the elections of 2022 found that a good way to start a, a kind of institutional rupture or a coup d'etat would be to destroy some of the most important buildings of, uh, of uh, 
of the constituted powers here in Brazil, in other words, uh, the Federal Supreme Court, the National Congress, and uh, also the presidency. And then uh, in that case, what happened was that uh, we were in Brazil in a kind of a polarization for more than uh, six years, at least, we could say this was the, the period of time. And uh, some of the supporters of Bolsonaro found that uh, it was important to also took <clears throat> most uh, uh, violent uh, actions against uh, the results of the 2022 elections. We must remind that in 2022, uh, now President uh, Lula was running for this position against Bolsonaro, who was our uh, former president at that time for the 2018-2022 term. And then uh, those supporters, some of them, they think that uh, uh, a military intervention or something like that could be uh, important to secure that Bolsonaro could stay in power. So what they do in, in the 8th uh, January 2023 was to, to go to Brasilia. There were some rumors that uh, those uh, uh, protests would be uh, violent, but uh, some uh, of the security authorities found that uh, this would not happen. Uh, and some of them knew that this could happen, but they left the, the protesters to, to go ahead. They just, they just keep on watching what's, what was going on. And then what we could see was the destruction of several of these buildings, uh, three of them, actually, the most important of them, and this kind of uh, uh, showcase that uh, if uh, there was something that Bolsonaro could do, actually, the military could do uh, after Bolsonaro left power, we must remember that Lula start his term on the 1st January. So if the military authorities could do something like, uh, uh, let's say, try to do a coup d'etat, there were protesters uh, supporting them uh, in the streets and uh, making that the armed forces could do something and, let's say, create a kind of a, uh, artificial government for that time and uh, ignore the results of the 2022 elections, which was something that... Uh, Still now, we don't have a, a clear idea that the armed forces could support this kind of initiative, but this was the scenario that those protesters were uh, seeing. Uh, I would like to add just that there was an expectation of a coup. Some of the Bolsonaro supporters, they were claiming for a coup. And in the, in the subworld of social medias and, 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 and the internet, uh, WhatsApp, uh, Telegram, all these, these forms of communication, there was a call for a coup. And there was, there was even an attempt to justify in legal terms, although, of course, the, 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 the legal basis for that was very fragile, but they, there were people arguing that um, the military, they have a constitutional power to, to protect the legal order protect the, the state when uh, requested by any of the branches. Okay, so they, they think that, or they argued at least, that the military could exercise some sort of moderating branch, like, like a, a branch beyond the branches, to take control of, 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 the, uh, of the government in order to repeal some threats. So there was this idea that um, if chaos uh, 
uh, installed itself in Brasilia in, in, the, in the, the three three branches square, which is the, the square in Brasilia is where the headquarters of the federal government, the legislature, and the, the Supreme Court, they are all placed in a single um, uh, branch. So if they, they took over that, there was an expectation that the government itself would ask uh, the militaries to intervene in order to, to bring back the peace. And, and if the government made that request, there were people who were thinking that they could make the interfe- inter- intervention more uh, robust in order to take control of the government itself. So that was the expectation, I think. Many people believed that if they seized the government and the government itself asked for, the, for military to, to intervene in order to bring back uh, peace, uh, that could be a justification. That could be a legal justification for the military to, to take control of the government in broader terms than requested by the government itself. No, thank you for setting that up. And before we move on to the aftermath and the response by Lula and the federal government, including the significance of, of not actually calling on the military, Thomas, can you just give us a sense of just how much chaos there was? Um, what was the scale of this attempted coup or riot? How many people were involved? In, and what was the sort of scale of the destruction? Part of the Supreme Court was complete. The, 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 the plenary uh, setting, uh, the, the building where, where they reunite themselves was completely destroyed. And there was, there was a lot of damage also in the Senate, in the Chamber of Deputies, in the presidency. I think two or three floors were com- of the building were completely destroyed, um, but nobody was hurt uh, physically. So that's the difference between what happened in the, in the U.S. where people died. N- nothing uh, like that happened, but there was a lot of destruction. <clears throat> About 2,000 people were arrested the, the following day. Okay, so when the, the, the government uh, intervened in the the federal government intervened in the in the in the government of the federal district, so they took control of the police, and the police responded to the person nominated by the federal government to temporarily take control of of, of the forces of the state, and and, and when that happened. So uh, the, the military did not react, did not respond. So there was, there was the sense of the legal order was reestablished. And following the, 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 the attacks, uh, many people were, were arrested on site uh, in, the, in, the, in the day after the attack because they, they were all camped in front of the headquarters of the armies. So um, many people were arrested. And now, uh, as we speak, there are more than 1,000 people being, uh, facing prosecution, criminal prosecution uh, for, for their uh, different forms of participation in the events. Yeah, and uh, Emilio, let's stay on this immediate response. Thomas kind of began to speak about the immediate response from Lula. If you could take us back to the night of January 8th, maybe. What challenge was facing um, Lula and the federal government in terms of restoring order? Uh, what were some of the trade-offs, do you think, that the government weighed in designing a response, especially at the executive level, to the events that had just unfolded? Yeah, I, I think that um, the protesters were hoping that uh, President Lula would do something that uh, Thomas was just mentioning, that was to use uh, a very disputable interpretation of Article 142 of the Constitution uh, that states that the armed forces 
if they are provoked by the president, they have a, a role in protecting the, the institutional order. So uh, the protesters were hoping that uh, Lula would follow that way. And I think that Lula was very smart politically to think about uh, another uh, way out. And he did it. I think that uh, uh, s some of these uh, decisions, they are part of what his minister of justice, uh, Flavio uh, Dino, uh, what he thinks about uh, uh, the best way to deal with this kind of, uh, of crisis. And then what he, he, he did was to use the, the, the Constitution, Article 34 of the Constitution, which establishes, like Thomas said, uh, what we call here in Brazil a federal intervention. So it was a measure that was provided by the, 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 the Constitution. It wasn't nothing like a, a state of exception or something like that. He just used a remedy that the 1988 Constitution offers, and then he interfered in the government that is responsible to manage the city or the capital of uh, Brasilia. And then that was a very glad uh, response, I think, because he avoided to use the military. Instead, what he, he did was to fire the commander of the army, uh, because there was this discussion uh, that the army was kind of uh, creating uh, some kind of support for the pro protesters because of those people who were campaigning in, in the headquarters of the, of the army. There are some, some rumors that even families of military uh, were there. Uh, and then what happened then the following day, because of all of, of this discussion that took place, and uh, there, there is also the, the idea that uh, the Minister of Justice uh, argued with the, the, the commander of the army uh, on what to do on that very day. And uh, I think that one, one thing that was important was to not have anyone uh, arrested in that very day. So the, 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 the imprisonments started in the following day, in the following morning, and then things were a little bit uh, uh, better or in a, in a, in a, in a better scenario. Uh, but uh, as, as Thomas just mentioned, we had something like 2,000 people arrested and now 1,000 people are facing uh, criminal lawsuits that will be uh, ruled by the federal Supreme Court. I think that um, there was a combination of factors that perhaps saved the Brazilian democracy or prevented further consequences. Um, the, the government response was very moderate, but was it enough to, to, to gain some control of the police? The police uh, forces responded to, to the interventor uh, that was nominated by the federal government. But there was also... Uh, some res judicial response, which was very effective too. Uh, Justice uh, Alexandre de Moraes he gave a restraining order that was that had a much broader scope than the the federal uh, intervention. He uh, removed from office the governor, the, the recently elected governor of the of the federal district. And the head of security, the secretary of security of the federal district, he was imprisoned. He was um, because of that, because because of his negligence. He was the the, the secretary of, of of security in the in the in the district in the federal district was Bolsonaro's former Ministry of Justice. And during his term, he acted uh, cons he consistently acted to 
allow this kind of thing, to allow the people to protest in front of the, the headquarters of the army, to, to ask for a coup. Uh, and also there was, there was a very uh, serious um, problem during the election itself, in, in the in the rodoviary in, in the uh, rodoviary police uh, traffic police or oh, 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 uh, that kind of blocked uh, that that put some roadblocks in the in in the districts where Lula has majority in the northeast to prevent voters to 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 travel to vote so the, many buses were stopped you know uh, and, and there was this huge scale operation to 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 prevent people from voting in in some of the zones where Lula has has a vast majority and and the the head of the at that time um, there was this um, joint effort of the Ministry of Justice and the the the, the, the chief of, of the, the traffic police to to do that so there was this uh, this constant support for this kind of uh, interference. Yeah, maybe something that we should should also mention is that uh, there is this uh, broader uh, scenario that was constructed, built by uh, Bolsonaro from 2018 on. So he started his term saying that uh, uh, the electronic ballots in Brazil, they were frauded, that actually he, he was able to uh, win the elections from uh, in the first round in 2018, and then something could happen again in 2022 if he... Uh, lose if he, if he could lose the elections. And then as he lost the elections, those people organized uh, themselves and some, some of them were in a certain sense uh, motivated by, 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 the, by Bolsonaro's discourse that they should protest against the results of the elections. And then uh, this kind of uh, mood was, uh, uh, create, was growing throughout uh, the end of 2022 and the start of 2022. 23. One of the things that is important to consider is that uh, this former Minister of Justice and then uh, uh, now former, also former Secretary of, uh, of uh, Public Security in the uh, Federal District, uh, he was at the U.S. at the time of the 8th of January, and a kind of, a, I don't know if it was holidays or something like that. But the federal police was able to find in his uh, uh, house uh, a plan to uh, declare a kind of a state of exception that would affect the uh, superior electoral court, which is the, 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 the authority here in Brazil to oversee the elections. So it is something that has uh, some motivations that are We, we can think that uh, we can credit to the protesters themselves, but we know that uh, uh, there are several things that indicate that uh, Bolsonaro and his uh, supporters, they were uh, trying to create this kind of, uh, of idea to, to, to fight the, the, the results of the 2022 elections. Uh, that, that document uh, was called by the media the, the coup draft because yeah. it was a presidential decree. Uh, it was a draft. It was not signed. It was just a draft, like, like uh, something that we do at home to submit to, uh, to, to the president before uh, it happens. But it was, it was a draft of, of, of a presidential decree that was not used, but shows at least that it was considered, a, a formal coup was considered, was under the radar. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I mean, in speaking about this so-called coup draft um, or coup rough draft or something like that, um, I know uh, you've both written that it was actually submitted as a piece of evidence in the uh, electoral disqualification trial. So I think this might be actually a good time to set that up. So I think that the big headlines, at least that made it to the US were, you know, on January 8th in the months, and then almost six months after Bolsonaro's eventual disqualification. So can you walk us through, you know, the the origins of the trial, the trial itself, uh, and then we can now talk about uh, after that, the consequences of, of, a, of a Bolsonaro disqualification. Amelia, I'll, I'll go back to you. So uh, what happened is that uh, in July 2022, Bolsonaro, he uh, made a, a meeting with several uh, foreign ambassadors in Brasilia. So, so uh, with, the, with the aim to show them that uh, there were serious suspicions against the uh, electoral process, that the electronic vote in Brazil was frauded, and that uh, they must pay attention to what was happening in Brazil because something could uh, happen in the 2022 elections that was not uh, the result of what voters in Brazil were uh, trying to, to do or to elect, to, to, to choose as the president uh, for the results of the 2022 elections. So uh, he made that meeting, and right after that, political party in Brazil started a representation, a, a lawsuit at the uh, Superior Electoral Court to discuss the disqualification of Bolsonaro for future elections because of this meeting. Uh, what was the main argument there? We have in Brazil... This is stated in the 1988 Constitution that elections shall be protected against candidates that uh, try to abuse their political power, their economic power, in order to interfere with the results of the elections. So to create situations in, in which we can find that uh, some, uh, some of those uh, candidates, they have more chances to win an election because of this political power, because of this economic power. So the argument was that uh, he made this meeting, he used the, the state TV broadcast uh, to uh, try to create this uh, scenario of suspicion against the electronic ballot without any kind of uh, real uh, evidence or concrete evidence. Uh, these lawsuits uh, started, and, they, and, and it has a, a previous investigation that went through uh, the end of 2022, and then came to 2023 when Bolsonaro was tried by those with supporting this kind of uh, disqualification. And then the, the electoral superior uh, court decided that Bolsonaro should be disqualified for future eight, uh, for eight years on future elections in Brazil because uh, he abused his power to, without any kind of concrete evidence, make those kind of uh, public uh, manifestations or public uh, uh, discourse against the security of electronic ballot uh, here in Brazil. So, as we mentioned in, in this uh, internet, uh, uh, in this uh, blog post, uh, this is something that was nothing new for the, the case law of the, of the Electoral Superior Court. Actually, the Electoral Superior Court has in the past ruled that any kind of fake news or any kind of uh, uh, suspicious uh, discourse against electronic ballot, if doesn't have if it doesn't have any kind of uh, concrete evidence, can lead to uh, disqualification of someone to 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 be in a public position or an electoral position. 
Thomas, I'd like to turn to you. What was Bolsonaro's defense? Uh, we know now that it was ultimately unsuccessful. On what constitutional or other legal grounds did did Bolsonaro, you know, mount a defense? The most uh, persistent defense uh, that he presents to the public, not 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 necessarily to the to the court, was that this it was a, an interference in his freedom of of speech, and that the, the, the judiciary itself has become a censor. Uh, furthermore, there was a more technical defense presented by his lawyers that Bolsonaro was, was being trialed by a much bro- broader accusation than the one that was presented. For instance, uh, when they attached the, 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 the draft coup to the, to the case files, Bolsonaro was saying that he did not have a chance to defend himself and that he was being accused of, of, of some uh, conducts that that fall beyond the, the strict competence of, of the, uh, the electoral courts, because the superior electoral court can only adjudicate on matters re- relating to, to the elections itself. So there was a defense, there was a technical argument that Bolsonaro was being tried by, by uh, a broader accusation than the, the electoral uh, illegalities that were argued in, in the first place. This was not the only electoral uh, complaint against Bolsonaro. There were 15 other cases brought against Bolsonaro, and some of them uh, related to much more serious accusations, like the one that um, I already talked about, that they they prevented voters from getting to the voting places with roadblocks. And there was another uh, accusation that Bolsonaro used a lot of the federal of the resources in the federal budget budget to to give in the last minute sums of money in terms of social benefits to voters uh, in order to interfere in the in the elections. Uh, the, the electoral uh, uh, protection system in Brazil is like is like the antitrust laws. Okay, that that's a nice metaphor. So there are norms to protect the fairness of the competition. So if somebody uses the resources of of, of the government to intervene on the elections, we call that abuse of political power. And if if, if someone if someone uses in an illegal way, uh, economic resources, we call that uh, abuse of economic power. And both of them are grounds for disqualification from electoral competitions. So what's the status of those other sometimes more serious uh, investigations or cases against Bolsonaro? And, and could we see even harsher consequences for the former president? Um, Emilio, I can go back to you. Yeah, one thing that we, we, we shall bear in mind is that uh, those procedures in the electoral justice here in Brazil, they have uh, a timeline that is, uh, that is let's say, uh, uh, fast than the ones that we compare in the, the rest of the, our courts here in Brazil. So I think that uh, we will see uh, another rulings in the next, let's say, uh, six months or even a year. So uh, I think that uh, probably Bolsonaro will be condemned in several other of those 15 lawsuits that uh, Thomas was just mentioning. But uh, what happens is that uh, being condemned in in one lawsuit that uh, applies to him this uh, term of eight years to be disqualified from from elections, it, it won't be the case that we can see another condemnation that will, will, will sum with these previous ones. So he, he would not be set aside from running for political positions for, 
for let's say eternity. Uh, so uh, we probably will see him trying to 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 run for uh, uh, electoral position in the future. But after those eight years that were uh, part of the condemnation that took place right now, so there are no, at least as I see the these processes and. Only considering those processes related to electoral uh, disqualifications, there are no uh, major uh, consequences than this one from, that uh, halts him from, from disputing elections uh, in the next eight years. But we have another criminal lawsuits that involve several other, thi other things, let's say, the way by which Bolsonaro managed the COVID-19 pandemic and so on, that can go on in lower courts now in Brazil and probably uh, bring some results that are harsher for, for Bolsonaro. I, I don't know if prison would be one of them, but uh, at least in an abstract way, we could consider that uh, this is something that uh, probably Bolsonaro is, let's say, afraid of. There are corruption accusations against Bolsonaro. There, there is accusation about uh, the, the mismanagement of the pandemic But these are all criminal cases that will not be adjudicated by an electoral court. As Emilio said, the, Bolsonaro already got all the punishment that he could get from an electoral court. The, 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 the convictions are not summed up. So if he gets convicted in, in, in all of the 15 cases remaining, that will not alter his punishment. It will be eight years and that's the maximum punishment uh, in, the, in the law. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, uh, as one of you mentioned, it's likely that if if Bolsonaro is, is healthy and, and capable, he will perhaps attempt to run in eight years uh, for political office again. But in the in intervening time, in, over the next eight years, just how bad is this for Bolsonaro? In other words, you know, has he been completely cast out from political life for the next eight years? Is he irrelevant? Or you know, does he have other ways to influence Brazilian politics, uh, his, you know, marshal his supporters in other ways. Uh, just how severe of a penalty really is this for, for Bolsonaro? Well, I, I think that um, that's a political judgment hard to make uh, before the election itself. But Bolsonaro re remains a very strong uh, political uh, voice in Brazil. And he will have, uh, and there's a dispute in the far right about who is going to succeed him. Uh, there are people who want his, uh, his wife to run for president or at least for senator. She's a very strong political voice, even though she's sometimes uh, perceived as even more radical than Bolsonaro himself. Uh, she is a very uh, militant, very active uh, religious militant, a, a, a Christian fundamentalist. And there are some people in the market that voted for Bolsonaro that might resist her. 
Uh, and there are other guys like the, the, govern, the governor of the state of Minas Gerais, Zema, who is now uh, turning more to the far right in order to, uh, to get like the inheritance uh, from Bolsonaro. And so he will, he, he's still a very powerful uh, um, political voice. His party is the largest party in Brazil. With, more, with about 100 seats in, in the Chamber of Deputies, the, the House of Representatives. So he, he is a very uh, strong political player. And, and I, I think that his support might fade a little bit if Lula is successful in achieving his economic goals, if his economic policies grow strong. I think that the people who are not the 30% that uh, inevitably will vote in Bolsonaro, but the other guys, the, the 20% more that made him president in 2018, these people might switch sides. And there are people in the center already thinking about switching uh, to the side of, of Lula because of, of the successful so far uh, conduction of the economy in, in the first six months of his term. I think that the, the future of, uh, of uh, Bolsonaro as a political actor is linked to, uh, let's say, a kind of political concept that uh, uh, was developed here in Brazil, which is something that uh, have some some uh, similar veins of uh, with what happens in the U.S., which would be a kind of a, a movement, a political movement uh, of Bolsonaroism uh, in the sense or something like uh, Trumpism for 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 Brazilian people. So Thomas wrote about it in the past. I wrote about it in the past. This political movement, although uh, it has uh, a shape, it has a form, it's not particularly or clearly uh, substantially defined. So there are several people that vote for Bolsonaro and that supported Bolsonaro in the second round of the elections of 2022, even though Bolsonaro is a very bad figure uh, and, and so on, but that opted for Bolsonaro because they saw that Lula was the, the opposite candidate. So I think that uh, the numbers uh, between, the number between 20%, 30% of the population in Brazil has some sympathy or has some, some, some links with, uh, with Bolsonaro and the movement as a whole, but there are other people who vote for Bolsonaro but are not actually his supported. And I think that uh, the problem for him now is much more uh, to deal with what uh, uh, would be the good results of uh, Lula's administration. And I think that the scenario, at least now, at least if we're, if we're thinking in the present moment, are not good for Bolsonaro because Lula is succeeding in some uh, economic uh, achievements that Bolsonaro wasn't able to do in the past. And uh, this could lead to even this party that now is his party, is, which is not actually his party because it's a, a kind of a center party that uh, tries to dialogue with the far right and at the same time sometimes support uh, uh, some of uh, Lula's uh, initiatives right now. Uh, it, it is part of what we call here in Brazil uh, Centrão or the big center, the large center of, of politics in Brazil, which is something like uh, that keeps on changing depending on who is the, the president at the time. So I think that Bolsonaro doesn't have a, a very strong uh, uh, or secure support as Lula had in the past. If we think and we analyze what is the 
Workers' Party and the, the substance of the Workers' Party and what uh, voters and supporters of the Workers' Party do independently of who uh, is the president, it is a very different scenario than the one that Bolsonaro is, is, is living now. I think that Bolsonaro would depend much more on financial initiatives uh, that could help, help him guarantee that in the future he would be uh, someone that can be important for, for the members of uh, his political party, the, the, the liberal party. Yeah, I want to make sure that we address an interesting point that you both brought up in one of your articles that was made by a Brazilian political scientist, I believe, Fernando Lemongi, who said in one of Brazil's biggest newspapers that, you know, he made the argument that perhaps it would be better if Bolsonaro was was defeated in elections rather than uh, disqualified by courts. Emilio, as you were actually, you know, answering the last question, it, it occurred to me that that maybe if if the movement is bigger than the man, then Bolsonarism in, you know, the coming years, you know, might be defeated in in elections, even if Bolsonaro himself isn't standing for elections. But Thomas, I want to give give you a chance to address that point because it was it was quite an interesting one. I think toward the end, I think uh, that Limongi not ordinarily have a, have a point. I mean, it's better to to defeat politics in elections than than in, in courts. But I think that um, th- there is a, there is another point is that. Uh, a counterpoint that could be made against this, this claim is that politics has has to have at least some sort of, of attachment to, to the rule of law. We have been facing since 2013 many challenges to the rule of law in which people uh, like lost, uh, lost sense of the idea that we do politics because we do not want to do war. There, there must be some sort of political morality that must be protected, and we lost that. First, in Dilma Rousseff's impeachment uh, in 2016, uh, which was an impeachment without uh, any, any impeachable offense. And, and it's very, very clear that there was no impeachable offense, and, but they did it uh, anyway just because they could. And, and, and we lost that in the, in the, in the ordinary uh, politics. So Bolsonaro um, attacked the courts and he used his attacks on the legal systems as a political strategy of, of survival. So I think that there must be some sort of, of, of line that cannot be crossed. Because when you cross that line, like he did in, in, in the handling of the COVID pandemic, people die. People die because of, of, of some political rhetorics. And, and, and other illegalities are, are, are committed. Just a couple of weeks before uh, January 8th, there was a guy, a Bolsonaro supporter, who was a former policeman, I think, that just put a bomb in Brasilia's airport. Uh, and and the, government, the, government, the government was encouraging that. He was arming the population. He was invoking like the, the, the rhetoric that we have in, in, in the U.S. Or, or, or about the, the rights to, to, to bear arms. So in order to, to invite the people to, to arm themselves and go to the streets to defend Bolsonaro. So I think that th- there are things that you cannot do while you run for an election. Perhaps Bolsonaro should have been disqualified, not because of the case that was trialed, but because of the other one that's, that's still pending judgment uh, about the, 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 the use of, 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 res- of resources in the budget to, to get to, 
to buy votes uh, in, 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 in a disguised way. Or the other case that prevent that, that put roadblocks to prevent voters to get in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the election site, because these are much more serious uh, electoral offenses. But I do not think that this is just an unqualified point, that the only way to prevent somebody from, from, from running from office is, is through electoral defeat, because uh, this was a, was a very dirty election. Bolsonaro intervened in the elections in several ways, many more than we can account for. So he, he was adopting the kind of uh, illiberal strategy to compromise the, the electoral process by, by changing the electoral rules in order to remain in power. So we must defend the electoral system. And I do not think that in this particular case, the Superior Electoral Court uh, went beyond its powers to disqualify Bolsonaro. One of the things that we can observe in this uh, uh, ruling from the Electoral Superior Court is that uh, there is a role that the Electoral Superior, Superior Courts or the Electoral Courts they uh, play in, in Brazilian democracy, which is truly important for the rule of law. And it's nothing that it is it is new for for Brazilian democracy. So Bolsonaro tried to create this discourse that uh, the Electoral Superior Court was interfering with the elections in a bad way and so on. But uh, I think that uh, probably the argument that uh, one can uh, argue in the sense that, uh, okay, it would, would be better if Bolsonaro could be defeated uh, through elections uh, is, is a fragile argument because it, uh, it does not pay attention to the role that the rule of law shall play in elections in Brazil. Uh, we have a basis for it in the 1988 Constitution. We have a basis for it, for it in several different statutory legislation here in Brazil. So the Electoral Superior Court gave Bolsonaro several advices in the sense that he would be punished because of his uh, rhetoric against the, the, the electronic ballots here in Brazil. So uh, I think that what the, the Electoral Superior Court was, did was something that the court should did and should uh, should should do actually to protect democracy through the use of rule of law, which is something that uh, is truly important. We don't have a separation, a clear separation between rule of law and democracy in the sense that we can uh, uh, use uh, any of them uh, separately. Yeah, I think one line from your one of your articles captures this well, where where you wrote, "The ruling is not a legal innovation, but the mere application of existing laws." I want to I want to just you know put on the table here and, and ask in both of your you know expert legal opinions was there any aspect of the federal government's response or Lula's response that was perhaps extra legal or or existing in a legal gray area or Thomas I can turn to you that you know would you call this you know very you know by the book response I think that the federal government's response was much more by the book than the federal supreme court's response because uh, it was very moderate, very timid, very uh, in point, very temporary. Uh, so it was very, very clear. So the, 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 the Supreme Court has a much more robust response. Uh, of course, it was provoked by, by, by some claims that were uh, adduced. But uh, in order to remove content from the Internet, uh, in order to authorize some temporary arrests, I mean, which were more intrusive than the federal government's response. So I don't think that there's an issue about the federal government's response 
So I think that uh, it was it was a moderate response, and I think that it was effective and it was a right the right response. Uh, it was a wi- it was wisely responded. There are some concerns about some uh, process, some cases in the in the in the federal Supreme Court. There is an inquiry which they call it the fake news inquiry, in which the uh, the, the Justice Alexandre de Moraes is making many. Uh, uh, um, Injunctions, uh, temporary injunctions, uh, like arrests or, or, or uh, investigations that may uh, here or there be be, be punctual uh, uh, violations. But uh, overall, I don't think that uh, it was a, it was a bad response. Yeah, well, one thing that uh, probably the, the audience must be uh, aware of is that uh, we were talking about here how the electoral superior court ruled in the case of Bolsonaro and disqualified him, but there is the other role played by the federal Supreme Court, which is another court here in Brazil. And then the federal Supreme Court, which was also the, the subject of several uh, criticisms uh, directed by uh, Bolsonaro's supporters and even by himself, has some inquiries that are related to the protection of democracy. Uh, the thing that is uh, debatable on those inquiries, as uh, Thomas was just mentioning, is that uh, there, wa- there, there is a prominent role that has been played by one single justice, who is uh, Alexandre uh, de Moraes, which were uh, linked to several important rulings, rulings that were, yes, important to defend Brazilian, the Brazilian democracy, as uh, in the case of, uh, let's say, the, the, the suspension of the... the uh, public security secretary of the of the federal district right after the right after the 8th uh, January, uh, but there are other rulings that uh, cause a kind of a bad uh, impression. So you have several rulings being taken by the same justice, uh, using and expanding his uh, competence, his jurisdiction in a sense that is uh, dangerous uh, to say uh, the minimum. And after the 8th of January, we must bear in mind that uh, the Federal Supreme Court uh, started four uh, new inquiries to to identify who who were the responsible for financing, for uh, going and destroying the the buildings on the 8th uh, of January. There are several crimes to which those uh, accused ones must respond now. And then uh, this discussion is a discussion that is taking place uh, right here now in Brazil, what is what is the role of the Supreme Court? Can the Supreme Court go uh, so far in protecting democracy in Brazil? Or there are limits that the federal Supreme Court should pay attention in order to protect the very uh, rule of law? I don't have to remind both of you that Brazil is a very large and diverse country, but I want to give the listeners a sense of the response from the public. I think in the days after January 8th, you saw thousands of counter-protesters take to the streets in Sao Paulo and and elsewhere denouncing this attempted coup or riot. You know, in the days after the announcement of, of Bolsonaro's electoral disqualification, for example, what has the response been from the public? Or on the flip side, in terms of Bolsonaro supporters, what has the lack of response been? I think maybe you, you haven't seen perhaps demonstrations that some would expect to see after such a blow to a, a leader uh, as Bolsonaro. So Thomas, can you give the listeners a sense of, of sort of public opinion and, and public action in these past six months since January 8th? Yeah, I think that after, uh, while Bolsonaro was in, in power, 
the his ability to regiment people to go to the street and defend him was much greater than it is now. So when Bolsonaro uh, lost the election, uh, uh, just before handing over the power to Lula, he went to the United States and spent two months there. So uh, some of his electors felt like abandoned by him. Not everyone, of course, but the people who, especially those who, who were expecting the coup to happen, saw like a, a, a negligence, saw like, like an inertia. Uh, and it might be one of the explanations of why after Bolsonaro was disqualified, not so many people were in the streets trying to defend him. There was no, not a single big uh, act with, with, uh, or big demonstration or rally with uh, thousands of people in the streets to defend Bolsonaro. It, it was as if as his disqualification was not a surprise, even to himself. He, he, he put some posts in the internet and some of his... Uh, supporters, uh, some of the representatives of, from his party made speeches, but that was all that there was to it. So, in, in a sense, uh, his capacity to, to put people in the streets defending him was, low, uh, was smaller than we, we could anticipate. That does not mean, of course, that Bolsonarism is dead. There is a lot of people who still uh, defend him uh, but they are more silent now. Uh, you, you can see them because uh, if you walk in the streets, you will see some houses with a Brazilian flag at the front door. If there is a Brazilian flag in the front door, you know that there is a Bolsonaro supporter living there. And right now, as where I am, I just if I just go out of my house, I will see three of them and the people are, are still there, but they are quieter now. And I think that this is, an, is a good thing because that's, that's what's, what's supposed to happen uh, when you lose. <laughs> well, Bolsonaro was, was very active in the past four years uh, trying to create political uh, uh, situations that could uh, give him support from his most uh, far-right supporters. <laughs> or strength his support. Uh, every day there was something new. Uh, even during the pandemic, he was trying to create some political case, some, something that could make him uh, being in the newspapers or in social media or in, in people trying to share his, his uh, tweets and, and so on throughout uh, 2018, 2022. Right after he, he lost the elections, uh, there were there, there was uh, there were rumors that uh, he was uh, he, he became depressed, so he he, he did not talk uh, to 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 the press uh, from uh, uh, the, the day of the result until he he, he went to 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 the U.S. Uh, he abandoned actually the, his position as a president. There there is also a, a discussion if the if he could do it uh, as a president. Uh, leaving the the post right uh, before uh, his mandate, uh, his term was ended, and I think that uh, the, this uh, situation, this whole situation, gave his uh, supporters a scenario in which they saw we don't have actually a strong leader, and this is something that most of his uh, supporters, as far righter uh, supporters or conservative supporters, want to have a strong leader to which uh, they could uh, refer to. And uh, I think that uh, this is something that they that made him made them uh, orphans of uh, what would be 
the one people that would guide Bolsonarism throughout the next years in the opposition to Lula's government. And as we near the end here, I would love to hear from each of you what you're keeping an eye on as the response and the aftermath of January 8th continues to unfold, whether it's these criminal prosecutions that are making their way through the courts, um, other legal challenges, legal and, and otherwise challenges that Bolsonaro is facing. Uh, what are you paying attention to uh, in these next few months to a year? Uh, Thomas, we can start with you. Yeah, I'm glad that I've started that because Emilio has an expertise in the topic. So he will be able to respond to some of the challenges that I will raise now. I think that the toughest challenge of the Brazilian uh, democracy is to reach the military who cooperated with Bolsonaro. And they think that they are beyond the reach of the rule of law. So there were generals, there were uh, colonels and people in a very high uh, military uh, posts that actively embraced Bolsonaro's coupist rhetoric. There were people who were working with him in his cabinet and there is uh, an investigation that um, shows that some of the military who are in charge of protecting the presidency, uh, the institution of the presidency, they were actually conspiring uh, or trying to to create chaos, okay? So I think that there, uh, we, we, we sometimes live again something that we lived when Brazil, of course, perhaps in a smaller scale, but we live the same problem, which is the accountability of the military who took part in this. Okay, I don't know. I don't think that it was the majority, but there were militaries, especially in high ranks, that clearly endorsed uh, uh, Bolsonaro. Uh, and, and, and some of his speeches and some of his acts and, and perhaps did not respond because they hoped that the coupist uh, would su- succeed. So I think that we, this should be investigated and these people should be held accountable to the rule of law. Uh, that was one of the biggest problems in Brazil after the redemocratization of 1988. Not a single torturer or a person who committed crimes being part of the military government has been punished for their deeds. If you compare Brazil and Argentina, all, all of the, 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 the main uh, participants in, in the military regime that endorsed torture, they were punished. Nothing like that ever happened in Brazil. And I think that... Uh, it seems like the military will be uh, out of the reach of the law again. So the toughest challenge is to tell them that they are also subjects to the law and they respond to their deeds. So if there is a a proof of participation of generals and, and, and people from the military in these attacks, these individuals should be held accountable to the law. And if they are not, it might uh, these might might have serious consequences for the future. Yeah, I think that we we shall now pay attention not only to what the superior electoral court would do with Bolsonaro in in the other fifteen uh, uh, lawsuits, but also what the federal supreme court would do with the uh, more than one thousand people that were uh, subject to criminal lawsuits because of the eighth of January. But I'm not optimist uh, in relation to any changes that can take place between uh, civil authorities here in Brazil and military authorities. Until now, everything that is related to the accountability of uh, military agents for the 8th January uh, is being discussed as something that should be treated internally. 
So the armed forces would go on with their administrative uh, procedures, and uh, if there is an accountability, the armed forces will take will take care of this. And this is something that, uh, unfortunately, uh, President Lula still uh, keeps with a kind of uh, conciliation discourse in the sense that, uh, okay, if there is something, let's try to find the people who, who can be held accountable, but let's not go that far to create problems between the armed forces and his government. So he nominated someone to be the Minister of Defense, uh, which is the, the someone responsible for the three armed forces, and is this is uh, someone which is very uh, in this idea that uh, we must create some kind of a political uh, conciliation with the military. We must not be uh, uh, so strong in trying to to set them accountable for for those violations. So I think that we have. Uh, uh, some things that will not change at least for now and uh, won't change for the next, uh, 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 let's say, uh, years. And uh, unfortunately for for Brazil, it's a it's a it's a thing that uh, it's a thing that we should treat in a different way that we treated in the past uh, thirty years of, or forty years of uh, after the nineteen eighty eight constitution. Well, just as in uh, the United States with January six, I think the search for accountability and justice continues. Emilio and, and Thomas Obrigado, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join me and speak to me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. It was a pleasure. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and of the Lawfare Podcast by becoming a Lawfare material supporter through our website, lawfaremedia.org support. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for other shows, including Rational Security, Chatter, Allies, and The Aftermath. Our latest Lawfare Presents podcast series on the government's response to January 6th. Check out our written work at lawfaremedia.org. The podcast is edited by Jen Patia Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Jay Venables of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.